It's sort of like the old Ben Franklin, penny saved is a penny earned. A kilowatt not burned is a kilowatt generated. Oh, yeah. Well, for sure. I mean, who among us wasn't told that at some point growing up? The part about the penny, anyway. That kilowatt part seems uh, more of a personal thing, maybe. (laughs) Or at least geared towards those paying electric bills, not little kids trying to learn how a piggy bank works. We cannot build power plants as fast as people move in here and buy new air conditioners or keep old air conditioners limping along. And as new businesses show up here and expand their usage of electricity, there are more and more things that we have to do to to juggle operationally to keep the power reliable. It's a lot easier and more consistent with the Texas ethos to talk about building new stuff than it is to talk about fixing and improving old stuff. I'm Bailey Friday, and I'm sitting upstairs in a house where the upstairs always gets super hot, even when the AC is working. So I want to know, and Texas wants to know, how well is the power grid going to hold up in this summer heat? I feel pretty good about this summer. Um, Among other reasons, renewable power uh, has been very steady. The wind has been sufficient to keep uh, our, our mammoth fleet of wind turbines going. Uh, the sun obviously is shining brightly, brilliantly, and a great deal of heat, uh, but that's also providing solar power, including at some peak demand times uh, late in the day. That is State Senator Nathan Johnson. He's a Democrat who represents Texas' 16th district, which includes a large part of Dallas County. He says Winter Storm Uri sparked his interest in the power grid. I think it did for a lot of us, too. I know that's where my interest came from, for sure. I didn't give power generation much of a thought when I first campaigned and and, uh, when I first came into office in the 2018 cycle because it was just always there. I don't think anybody outside of a few people very close to the issue were um, paying a whole lot of attention. But then we had a storm that killed hundreds of people subjected millions of people to misery and caused hundreds of billions of dollars of damage. So it was pretty acutely on everyone's mind. Uh, It was not a space that was uh, particularly occupied by legislators, and I found it fascinating and important. So I dove into it, uh, and it's been primary area of my legislative efforts for the past couple of years. Johnson also sits on the Senate Committee on Business and Commerce. Almost everything related to the market design, to the incentives we put up, to the balance of generation resources, to the siting requirements, costs, authority of ERCOT, all runs through business and commerce. And it was, um, it took up, I dare say the majority of the time in that committee this past uh, legislative cycle and a great proportion of it in the prior legislative session. The prior session was going on when Winter Storm Uri hit Texas in February 2021. Johnson says then lawmakers were just trying to prevent the worst. At that time, we tackled what essentially were the the crisis aversion questions. Um, It's a whole other level to talk about the sufficiency of generation, how well we can manage the kinds of generation that we have. What kinds of generation should we have? Should we incentivize it? Should we leave it to the market? Is there anything else we need to do to avert a crisis? Those were the kinds of questions Johnson says the Senate turned to in 2023. Unfortunately, it's super hard. It's really, really difficult. 
and you can find experts throughout the industry, super smart people who've dedicated their entire lives to this question and don't agree with each other. So then you get a bunch of legislators who aren't energy experts trying to figure it out. You can imagine how hard it is. Add one more layer, it's political. Right? So um, it's, it's really uh, a huge challenge. We should expect since Texas temperatures have risen every summer for the last 30 years, and Texas population has risen every, every year for the last 30 years, we should expect that there will be a lot more calls for conservation because it's getting harder and harder every year to operate the grid. Allison Silverstein is an energy consultant and a former advisor to the chair of the Texas Public Utility Commission. Okay, so last time we spoke, I think it was back in January, and we were talking about whether the grid was equipped to deal with another severe winter storm. But when we see these conservation warnings flying around during the summer, are we at risk for similar outages? Or are those just two totally different scenarios? There are different problems for several different reasons. One of them is that the reasons that we have problems in the winter are generally in super cold weather. There are three big things that happen. Demand goes sky high because we have so many inefficient um, resistance heaters in Texas. And those are, we have not accurately reflected those in ERCOT load forecasting or utility load forecasting, and they draw extraordinary levels of electricity without actually producing much heat in super cold weather. In February 2023, much of Texas saw at least three full days of temperatures below 32 degrees. In December of last year, low temperatures reached 11 degrees in Dallas. 11! That's too cold for life, y'all. And no, that's not a fact. That is just my opinion. And of course, we had winter storm Yuri in February 2021. It's really seeming to become a common occurrence. I'm starting to invest in winter clothes. The second part of this is that a lot we lose a lot of power plants in super cold weather. One of them is because power plants historically weren't effectively winterized themselves in terms of protecting the power plants fixing the things that might be exposed to super cold weather or to water that would freeze up or wind that would make it break faster. That has been ameliorated largely because of rules that the PUC adopted after winter storm Yuri. In case you forgot about that storm, uh, that is when the entire state basically shut down for a couple days because everything was so icy. Me and my husband got iced into our driveway, could not get out. Fortunately, we had food and stuff, but it was a couple days of PB&J and, and just gross stuff. I wanted delicious crockpot meals, but that didn't work because we did not have power. Our biggest vulnerability, aside from demand and the fact that we're not protecting people in their homes, is from the cold weather, is that on the winter, we lose gas supply. And we don't lose gas supply because we're sloppy. We lose gas supply because the gas industry starts cutting production and deliveries to power plants at the very time that we need that gas delivery most to heat homes and businesses and run in the power plants. So if those are all the things that can go wrong in cold temperatures, 
what happens when we have this triple digit heat for days on end? We get very high demand. Air conditioning makes up at least probably 50% of demand in the summertime. So the hotter it gets, the more we're all cranking the thermostat and demanding more electricity. Power plants are very, don't likely break very often in the summer in the same way that they do in the winter. We don't lose gas supply in in the summer. So an outage that we have in the summer is likely to be only an hour or two at max because there's not so much broken equipment and it is just a function of, do we have enough demand? Do we have enough supply? Did we lose a single power, a large power plant, or did we lose a whole lot of wind and solar? Or did we grossly underestimate the demand forecast? Speaking of that demand forecast, in early May, ERCOT officials warned that demand could outpace supply this summer. But just a few weeks later, they reversed course and said they had confidence in the grid, which, as a Texan, I mean, that, that's good to hear. I believe that the change in policy was that they were trying to affect, uh, was political. And they were putting a spin on the available story because the legislature was in session and they were trying to, they were being told by some of the politicians whom they report to that they wanted to hear messages that supported bills about let's build more power plants. ERCOT declined an interview request for this episode, but they did send us a statement, and it says in part, quote, ERCOT will continue to operate the grid conservatively, bringing generating resources online early to mitigate sudden changes in generation or demand, end quote. It went on to say that, quote, ERCOT will continue to monitor conditions and keep Texans informed. The other thing that ERCOT's forecast does that they released in May, late May is they say the grid will be fine under a whole bunch of specified conditions that are relatively normal. But they also were very clear that if the following very extreme conditions happen, very high demands, very high um, loss of wind and solar, or very high unplanned loss of dispatchable power plants, if combinations of those events occurred, we would not have enough supply to serve the available demand. If you're new to Texas, you're going to hear the acronym ERCOT a lot in extreme hot or extreme cold temperatures. ERCOT is the Electric Reliability Council of Texas. It operates our power grid. But that's big picture. What's the role of the companies that we actually pay to get power in our homes? I asked JP Dowling with Houston-based Reliant Energy. As the retail provider, our primary job is to go out and procure power for our customers in advance and then provide it to them at the agreed upon fixed contract rate. So what that means is we're here to provide price certainty, and that's kind of job number one for us. We also have a a range of tools and programs that help our customers manage demand. What that means is that we, we reward customers and we make it easy for them to reduce their usage when demand at the ERCOT level is very high, like it has been in the last uh, few weeks. And that can, in the long run, actually help reduce electricity costs for everybody because the grid is more balanced. Another thing you'll hear in Texas is that our energy market is deregulated, which means providers are competing to keep their business. One of the benefits of this competition in the Texas market is that as a retail provider, we know that our customer's business is not guaranteed. 
So it's on us to provide the best pricing, customer service, and other product offers that mean the most to our customers and keep them happy. Senator Johnson told us earlier that making changes to the grid was a priority for the Texas Senate in this year's legislative session. But the chamber's first two bills failed to get through the House. Senate Bill 6 would have directed funds to build natural gas-fueled power plants that could come online in cases of emergency, while Senate Bill 7 would have created financial incentives for the development of power that could come on within two hours and run for at least four. As the days of the legislative session wound down this spring, both chambers finally passed a bill, Senate Bill 2627, that would incentivize the construction of more natural gas-fired power plants. The author of all three of those bills, State Senator Charles Schwertner, a Republican from Bryan, did not respond to phone or email messages seeking comment. So 2627 was an alternative attempt to incentivize the private sector to build natural gas generators in a way that Senate Bill 6 did not. Instead of outside the market uh, backup systems, it's inside the market. But it's a big financial incentive. We're, We're literally throwing money at investors to get them to build. Is that a bad thing? Some people think so. If you really do want to incentivize uh, the construction of these power plants in the private sector, you have to, to ensure that the people who are going to make those investments are comfortable with the return they're going to see. The new statute does a couple of things. The first is it sets up higher payments for all dispatchable power plants, which are coal, nuclear, natural gas, and probably batteries, so that plants, the existing plants that show up and produce when we need them the most will get higher revenues. This is to make them more competitive and to increase their their profits so that they don't retire too early. The second thing that this bill does is statute does is it creates a $10 billion fund, the bulk of which is supposed to provide low cost loans or completion bonuses or outright grants to existing dispatchable plants for maintenance expenses or to fund the construction of brand new dispatchable power plants that aren't already expected. This will make the grid more reliable. And so this is intended to expedite the construction of those plants as quickly as possible. But while those new plants are being built, even if they are expedited, Silverstein says there's plenty we can do in the meantime to help the grid. Instead of just trying to fix supply, we need to be much smarter and aggressive about fixing demand. And the important things we need to do on demand are going back to setting really aggressive energy efficiency measures for all new construction. Again, Texas is the fastest growing state in the nation for population. We should have really energy efficient homes and building and appliance requirements for every single new home and apartment building and business built in this state for all those new people moving in every year. So you mentioned improving energy efficiency standards. Back in June, Governor Abbott vetoed a bill that would have strengthened such standards on new buildings. What was your reaction to that decision? Extraordinary disappointment. But that was only one of the things that should have been done. 
that affects new homes going forward, that measure would have done nothing to fix the house that you're sitting in today or the place I'm sitting in. All of the retrofits for the 12 million Texas homes that we already have in the state, many of which need upgrades. We have to be spending money on that. The bill was one of dozens the governor vetoed because he wanted the legislature to focus on property tax cuts. There's a political game going on right now, and the governor has not been coy about it. He is vetoing bills left and right as sort of a punitive statement for the legislature not passing property tax reduction. So he's just executing bills here and there. This is a very, very, I think, very bad way to run a government, just to kill bills out of spite for, frankly, something that should have been. And I'm talking now about property tax reform, because that's the big thing that is the the pretext for, for vetoing all these bills. This should have been figured out a year ago. We should have at least been close to the same page by the time session started. And for God's sakes, we can't pass it by the end of session when everybody is asking for it. It, it's, it's, It's pathetic. The second week of July, the House and the Senate announced that they had reached an agreement on how to cut property taxes. But the bills Abbott vetoed, related to the grid and otherwise, cannot be sent back to the governor's desk. In a special session, lawmakers can only work on legislation related to items designated by the governor. We're going on 30 million people here. Summers are getting hotter. Winters are getting colder. Cold snaps are longer. Heat waves are longer. Uh, People are consuming more power to stay warm and to stay cool. And meanwhile, we have um, high energy demand industries here, including petrochemical refineries, um, which some people might think is bad. But if you're in Ukraine and you can get some liquefied natural gas out of Texas, it's a good thing, right? Um, semiconductor manufacturing, automobile manufacturing, these things draw a ton of power. So we have a a steeply increasing population. We have a steeply increasing demand on electricity from industrial processes. It would be political negligence to not look at those curves and anticipate for the power that we're going to need. According to the U.S. Census Bureau, the state's population eclipsed 30 million last summer. When looking at Texas power needs, Johnson says the legislature is considering factors like generation capacity, flexibility, and resiliency. The resiliency component for me had two pieces. First was, what can we do to segment this grid into littler pieces so we can rotate it more effectively? But affecting that, and probably more importantly, is if the power out is out in an area and you have an assisted living facility, are all those people going to die if the power's out for two days? Uh, If you have a water tower or a water treatment facility that has no power, is anybody going to be able to drink water for two days? Police stations, fire departments, uh, high schools might double as a warming center, urban hospitals, perhaps the only gas station on an emergency route, the only food in a zone. All those entities, some of them are, are small public entities, some of them are private entities, need backup power systems. But they don't have the money for it because they're super expensive to design, build, and deploy. So Johnson filed an amendment to a House bill to help. What this backup power package we devised does is create a bunch of standardized, I say a bunch, three or four, maybe five, standardized off-the-shelf, very small generators that last for two days. They're already specced out and designed by the private sector. They're interchangeable, readily available commercial parts. 
contractors bid out to build them. And then we go to all the cities and the small private entities and say, do you need backup power? Here's some state money to help you purchase it. Take a look at your menu, buy that one off the shelf. We've got some engineers and experts here to help you hook it up and run the thing. It, it cuts the deployment time in half. It cuts the costs down by 30, 40, 50%. All this is designed to put together. No one's ever without power for four hours. That's the goal. While lawmakers and energy experts work on solutions to generate more power and devise plans for backup power, we end up right back where we started. The importance of energy efficiency. It costs money to make homes and buildings more energy efficient. We particularly could require it of new buildings, but we could also use some state money to help people and to help businesses make homes and commercial structures less of heat sieves, right? We don't have to build a whole lot of stuff, right? Just put some insulation on the roof. Just put some insulation on the window. Replace the window. Uh, replace that really old um, air conditioning and HVAC system with a heat pump. There are programs throughout the nation, including in Texas, that will provide financial incentives to consumers to make their homes more energy efficient. At Reliant, we are, of course, serving customers, and so we're more focused on helping them be efficient, which also means that their bills are lower. We provide customers with a, a number of different energy efficiency tips. So, I mean, it's some of these things are really simple stuff, right? If you leave the house for more than four hours, turn your thermostat up four degrees, and you'll save a lot of electricity when you're not at home. One of the things that, that we hear a lot if a customer calls in and their bill is higher during the summer than they might expect, sometimes that's their home air conditioner using more because it's not as being as efficient as it could. And so one thing we recommend to everybody is get an annual HVAC checkup, make sure it's running efficiently, and that way your electricity bills will be lower even as it's working hard to keep you cool in your home. I'm Bailey Friday at News Radio 1080 KRLD in Dallas, Fort Worth. Thank you guys so much for joining me on Texas Wants to Know. If you liked the show, please give us a rating and a review wherever you listen to podcasts. This episode was written and produced by Chris Blake with editorial support from Cooper Mall and original music by Michael Eisenstein. Odyssey's managing producer for national news podcasts is Myron Kaplan. 